And before we, uh, before we look at the verses that are before us, we'll, uh, we'll bow in prayer. Maybe someone should go and uh, see if, if we can help. Yeah. So we'll, we'll bow in prayer before we turn to the verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the passage before us. And we thank you that um, when we look at your word, we see uh, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that this evening, as we consider your word together, that you will show him to us uh, in his wonder and help us to really want him to be uh, our saviour and help us to find him, we pray, to seek him and to find him and to know him as our own, because we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's interesting when you look at um, the passage and look at the message that Jesus went to preach in Galilee. Oh, and I, I will kind of uh, flip from English to French now and again. It's, it's kind of simple message this week, so that should kind of be okay. Um, so um, the message that Jesus preached uh, was really uh, an interesting message, wasn't it? And, and we actually discussed it on Friday evening a little bit. Um, he went into Galilee, a Galilee kind of northern territory of, um, of what we now call, I think it, it's still part of what we now call Israel. Galilee was in the north. Galilee was kind of racially mixed. Uh, they had a funny accent, like sometimes people who come from the north do. Um, and um, nobody from the south, of course, has a funny accent. All the best accents are from the south, but funny accents come from the north. And um, uh, in Galilee as well, um, it, was, it was a bit of a political hotspot. Um, people were um, wanting to rebel because the country was under Roman rule. Uh, it was occupied. And we don't like our countries to be occupied, do we? We like to be um, independent and to govern our own affairs. And if we feel that somebody's being heavy on us or uh, telling us what to do, and not listening to us, then we sometimes get a little bit um, cross about it, and we feel that we should take action. Uh, there's a lot of things happening in politics today that are like that, aren't there? Uh, lots of people talking about independence, you know, and, um, and taking back control. Uh, so we have, yeah, I won't name movements, but you can think of, of four or five probably, uh, independence movements or uh, movements that to leave unions of one kind or another. Uh, well, Galilee was that kind of place. It was the kind of place where people said, you know, we've got to take back control, and so on. And Jesus goes, and he takes this message. He says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has come near. Uh, you can see it there in verse uh, 15. Uh, Mark says, that was the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, it just so happens that I have the very privileged position of coming from a kingdom. Um, most of us don't come from a kingdom. It'd be interesting to ask, actually, how many people here come from a kingdom, a monarchy? Um, do all, all of you come from the same monarchy? I think probably do. Yeah? Everyone's from the same monarchy. Uh, everyone else, um, are you from a monarchy or are you from a, a republic or what? Uh, hands up those who come from a republic of one kind or another. Yeah, so at the moment we seem to have a big choice between monarchies or republics, yeah? 
And I have the, the wonderful kind of privilege of coming from a monarchy. People who come from a republic think, that's weird, you know? Fancy having a king. And people who come from a monarchy think, fancy having everyone take control, you know, me being in charge of the country. How, how, how stupid is that? And so we, we, we are a little bit suspicious of each other's situation, you know? Monarchy, monarchists feel that republics are a dangerous place, and republics, republicans feel that monarchies are a dangerous place. Well, Jesus preached a kingdom. Deal with it, you know? Jesus preached a kingdom. But when he went... Uh, into Galilee and preached this message he said the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news that's interesting isn't it it's very interesting because what he does is he doesn't proclaim something political well in a way it's political but he doesn't mean he's going to set up a, a, a new government in Galilee it isn't that and he doesn't proclaim something geographic well in a way it's geographic in that it's going to fill the whole world but he, he isn't claiming a, a piece of territory. Instead, he's doing something really interesting. He's saying, uh, in a way, look, the kingdom has come near because the king has come near. Yeah? And to enter his kingdom, it demands a personal response. We can say, in a way, it's kind of like a personal kingdom. A personal kingdom. And to enter that kingdom demands a personal response. And so in this passage, we see the king appear. The king appears. And uh, he has a big effect then on his happy, willing subjects and then on his enemies. Yeah? And so the king appears. Now then, uh, I need to uh, step back a little bit because something provoked Jesus into uh, starting to proclaim this. And what provoked him was the fact that John was put in prison. You can see that, can't you? After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. What time had come? Well, the time had come for Jesus to, to begin his public ministry and to announce the kingdom and to call people to repent and believe. Now then, at some moments today and I mean you've got to milk it haven't you I didn't spend all that money to go to this thing to not mention it when I preach um, I went to this TED Talks in Bordeaux TED Talks at La Cité du Vin um, and um, it was yesterday it took up an awful lot of yesterday actually uh, going to the Cité du Vin and hearing Something like probably 10 or even 12 different speakers, les speakers, um, who brought different 20-minute um, talks about all kinds of different subjects. And what was interesting was this, the title, Qu'est-ce que tu crois? I hope I'm pointing to it. No, it's a, oh, it's not on. Yeah, it is. There we are. <laughs> Mais qu'est-ce que tu crois? Qu'est-ce que tu crois? But what do you believe? Oh, fascinating, eh? Um, we'll talk a little bit about that perhaps later and the things that people believed um, Jesus calls people to repent and to believe isn't that interesting alors un, un, petit, un tout petit peu en français alors moi je, je viens euh, d'un royaume on n'a pas droit, on a une reine et elle est bien la reine 
Euh, en fait, euh, j'ai la forte impression que les Français aiment bien la reine, la reine d'Angleterre, même si euh, elle porte parfois des chapeaux un peu bizarres. Mais bon, voilà. Euh, elle a besoin de faire ça parce qu'elle est quand même euh, un peu petite, alors elle porte de, des couleurs fortes et de grands chapeaux, euh, parce que comme ça, les gens peuvent la voir. Et sinon, elle est, elle est complètement perdue dans la, dans la foulée, quoi. Alors... Euh, Jésus, il annonce un royaume. Et pour certains, euh, ça pourrait être un peu déstabilisant parce que quand même, euh, les royaumes, c'est d'autrefois, ce n'est pas quelque chose de moderne. De nos jours, on habite tous dans les républiques. Euh, c'est le peuple qui, qui gère le pays. Ouais. J'ai envie de dire mon œil. Euh, parce que franchement, est-ce que c'est vraiment le peuple qui, qui gère Je ne sais pas. Bon. Euh, mais bon, voilà. Mais Jésus, il arrive en Galilée, Galilée qui, qui est quand même euh, une région du, du pays qui est fortement euh, impliquée dans des, des complots contre les Romains. Euh, C'était un pays sous occupation romaine, alors euh, il, il voulait vraiment se libérer de, de, de ce jour, euh, le jour de, de Rome. Alors, c'était chaud en Galilée, hein? c'était une région euh, vraiment politiquement euh, chaude. Alors, Jésus, il arrive et il annonce que le, roi, le royaume est proche. Euh, le royaume est proche, il dit, euh, changer d'attitude, on a dans notre traduction française, changer d'attitude et croyez à la bonne nouvelle. Et la bonne nouvelle, c'est que le royaume de Dieu est proche. Comment ils peuvent annoncer cela C'est assez simple. Le royaume est proche parce que le roi est arrivé. C'est ça. Le roi est arrivé. Ce n'est pas un royaume géographique. Bah, si. Mais c'est un royaume géographique qui va remplir toute la terre. Ouais. Ce n'est pas quelque chose de, de territorial, quelque chose qui, qui va occuper un petit terrain ou un petit pays, ou une petite nation, quelque chose comme ça. Non, ça va remplir toute la terre. Et c'est politique dans le sens que, finalement, tout le monde va s'attacher à cela. Mais, en fait, on peut dire que c'est un royaume personnel, parce que le roi arrive euh, et les gens réagissent. Les, les sujets euh, du roi s'attachent à lui, ils croient en lui. Euh, les ennemis du roi ont une autre réaction. Et Jésus dit, alors, les gens qui vont accepter le royaume, qui vont entrer dans le royaume, ils vont changer d'attitude, se repentir. C'était le mot qu'on utilisait avant. Se repentir et ils vont croire à la bonne nouvelle. Alors, c'est pour cela que, bon, voilà, j'ai présenté un peu les TED Talks avec les speakers euh, sur des sujets différents. Euh, mais le titre, c'est « Mais qu'est-ce que tu crois ?» Fascinant, hein? Il faut regarder après euh, pour voir euh, ce qu'ils ont présenté, ces, euh, ces gentilles euh, personnes. Alors, on va voir le roi ce soir. C'est ça qu'on voit. OK. So the first thing I want to talk about is um, his message. The message of the king was « Repent and believe. »« Repent and believe. » In fact... The French helps us a little bit, doesn't it? Changer d'attitude et croyez à la bonne nouvelle. Changer d'attitude et croyez à la bonne nouvelle. En fait, ça aide un peu, mais pas trop. Um, repent, what does it mean to repent? 
You know, we, we, we have all kinds of ideas of what the word repent means, doesn't it? Don't we? Um, sometimes we think that when you repent, it means you're very upset. You've done something and you regret it very deeply, and typically you cry. Yeah? And we have that idea of repentance. It's tears. It involves tears. Sometimes we have the idea that repenting means you're going to live differently. You're going to change. You're going to change your behavior. Yeah? Everything's going to change in the future because you've repented. Um, in fact, the word behind repentance is deeper than your feelings and deeper than a change of behavior. You know, people change behavior for all sorts of reasons. People change behavior because there's a, a policeman following them in the car. And they think, oh, I better watch my speed. Yeah? I better stop at all the, uh, the traffic lights. I better not uh, risk the traffic lights because there's a policeman watching. And so they change their behavior. Um, but it's superficial. Once the policeman's gone, you know, um, it's superficial. It's on the surface. But the Bible word repent goes deeper. Deeper than changing your behavior. Deeper than your feelings. The Bible word repentance means you think differently. You actually think differently. It's like you become a different person. You think differently. Uh, you change your way of thinking. Yeah? Change your intelligence in a way. What then? Uh, what do you change? Well, you change what you think about sin. You change what you think about sin. You begin to take God's side about what is right and what is wrong. Yeah? Even if all the world is against you, you think, yeah, but God is right on this one, and I've got to stand with him. You change what you think about the things that people prize dearly and live their lives for. For example, you start to think, well, maybe, maybe big swanky cars are not as important as I always thought they were. For example, that might not be what you love. Maybe my career is not as important as I thought it was. Maybe the things that make me feel good about myself are not as important as I thought they were. For example, succeeding in exams. Getting on the career path I want. Having the right boyfriend. Having any boyfriend at all. Maybe it's not as important as I thought it was for feeling good about myself. Because I found some other reason to accept myself. Changing what you think about how the world is going to work. False hopes. False hopes. You see, um, one guy in, in his book about um, Mark, he talks a lot about how in Galilee, you know, they, they really hoped for uh, some leader to come, a military leader who was going to lead the country uh, to freedom from the Romans. But Jesus didn't come to do that. That was a false hope. That was a false hope. And we have lots of false hopes, don't we? We think technology will solve the problems of the world. We think science will solve the problems of the world. We think politics can solve it. Education can solve it. We think all these different things will make the world finally a better place. Well, those things are not bad things, but they're not what's going to solve the problems of the world. They're false hopes. Um, last week, someone came to visit us from our mission, and um, he said, well, what do you think, Alan? Um, guy I know, he says, he's predicting war in Europe by the end of next week. 
I thought, what? In Europe? What? War in Europe? And uh, then he went through it and, he, and it did sound plausible. But thankfully, we're not at war, are we, yet? So um, all, all these ideas we have of what's going to stop war, the European Union is meant to stop war in Europe, isn't it? That's the big hope. Tie everyone's economies together, they can't go to war. Um, but maybe it's a false hope, a false hope. And really, we should repent of false hopes and trust in Jesus. Yeah? So we repent of our false hopes. But then, believe what? Well, it's not so much what you believe, it's more who you believe. That's what it is. It's who you believe. Because it's personal faith in a person who is the king. It's personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's really important for us to grasp. Because Christians often, and it's not a bad thing, you know, in, um, I grew up in a, in a church where we used to recite a creed. And I believed all those things. I did. I really did believe the things I used to say every week in the Nicene Creed. We used to chant it. So, you know, if I have to remember it, I still chant it. Um, and there was nothing in there that I didn't believe. But actually, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. Because to be a Christian is not just about believing stuff. It's about trusting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah? So it's not so much about what you believe, but who you believe. We'll come back to that. Alors, un petit peu sur, euh, sur le, le message euh, que Jésus a annoncé. Il a euh, annoncé que le, euh, le moment est arrivé, que le royaume de Dieu est proche, changer d'attitude et croyez à la bonne nouvelle. Ça veut dire quoi Changer d'attitude, c'est très bien. Euh, on pense souvent, euh, quand on, on pense à la repentance, que c'est un changement de comportement, oui c'est vrai, que c'est émotionnel, hein? on va pleurer, euh, il y aura des larmes, Alors, on va regretter ce qu'on a fait, c'est pas faux, hein? mais en fait le mot que le, la Bible utilise est, est un peu plus profond que ça, parce qu'on peut facilement changer de comportement parce qu'il y a quelqu'un qui nous regarde, et une fois que la personne est partie, hop, on, on retourne à... à à notre mauvaise manière de se comporter. Mais en fait, selon la Bible, de se repentir, c'est changer de pensée, changer de manière de penser. C'est très profond. C'est un changement de pensée, d'intelligence. Et alors, c'est beaucoup plus profond que simplement quelque chose d'émotionnel ou quelque chose de, simplement de, de comportemental, si ça se dit. Se euh, repentir de quoi Alors, c'est de laisser notre, euh, comment dire, euh, notre attitude par rapport au péché. Euh, le monde dit qu'il y a une manière de vivre qui est bien, mais Dieu dit autrement. On dit, bon voilà, maintenant je vais croire ce que Dieu dit. Euh, les choses euh, qui nous sont chères, et qui nous donne notre sens de, de valeur, quoi. Euh, comme la réussite euh, sportive, euh, sportive, ou la réussite euh, euh, dans les examens et tout cela, trouver une bonne carrière, euh, un bon boulot, euh, avoir euh, une belle euh, euh, copine ou un beau copain, euh, ces choses qui, qui nous, euh, nous donnent le sentiment que le, la vie va bien. 
En fait, ce n'est pas ça qui fait en sorte que la vie va bien. C'est vivre euh, main à main, c'est marcher main à main avec Jésus. C'est ça qui fait en sorte que la vie va bien. Alors, c'est de laisser tout cela et aussi nos, nos faux espoirs. Parfois, on a beaucoup de faux espoirs. On pense que la politique va, ré, euh, va euh, résoudre les problèmes du monde. Ou la science, ou la technologie. On croit fort en la technologie de nos jours. Euh, ou euh, l'éducation, ça va euh, résoudre les problèmes du monde. En fait, ce n'est pas vrai. C'est pas vrai. Parce que rien n'est assez profond pour, et suffisamment profond pour changer le cœur de l'homme. Alors, il faut se repentir de ces faux espoirs et croire quoi. Ce n'est pas quoi, c'est qui. C'est qui. Finalement, ce n'est pas les choses qu'on croit, c'est la personne en qui on a confiance. J'ai appris ça quand je me suis converti parce que j'ai été élevé dans une famille non-croyante, mais en même temps un peu pratiquant. Pratiquant dans le sens que mes parents m'envoyaient à, à, à l'église, mais ils n'allaient pas eux-mêmes. Alors, et euh, à l'église, on récitait, on, on entonnait euh, le credo, et je croyais tout ça, je croyais tout ça, mais je n'étais pas chrétien. Et c'était euh, quelques années plus tard, quand j'ai rencontré Jésus, et j'ai fait confiance en lui, pardon les choses, hein, les choses n'ont pas changé. Mais ma, ma, ma relation avec lui a beaucoup changé parce que j'ai placé ma foi, ma confiance en Jésus. Et c'est personnel, un roi personnel pour un royaume personnel. Alors, comment croire en Jésus? Comment avoir cette confiance en Jésus? Can we really have this kind of trust in Jesus? Well, let's look at this king. What's he like? Well, look, just look at what he's like, verse 21 and 22. He goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach. And when he begins to teach, the people are amazed at his teaching because he teaches them like someone with authority and not like all their other teachers. Now, you know, um, we have um, various people who teach here in this church. Um, and I'm not going to mention James this week, okay? James gets a, a week off from being mentioned in sermons. But there are various people who come and preach in the church and teach in the church. And you know what we do? We all look in books. All of us. We're all looking in books. You know, what does the book say about this passage? And, oh yeah, oh, I've got that wrong. And, oh, maybe, oh, I'm not sure about that. And then we look in another book. And It's all about books, really, you know? Um, there's hardly anything any of us says that's original. In fact, uh, if any of us ever says anything original, I'd give you a lot of money for it. I really would. Uh, because it all comes out of books. But the Lord Jesus Christ, so we're still the same, you know, it's still the same. We're all teaching each other and then we're teaching each other and we're teaching each other and we're all teaching each other. That's the way it goes, you know. That's what it's like being someone who's a Christian. But not Jesus. Jesus came and he said amazing things. Like he said, he read once. Do you remember how he read once? I think it was, um, I haven't got it in my notes, it's Isaiah 61, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. But he reads Isaiah 61, it's in Luke chapter 4. He reads the scroll of prophet Isaiah, and then he folds it up and says, Today, this is fulfilled before your very eyes. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? He was able to say, do you know what? The whole Bible is about me. And it was. 
It was. You know, none of us can say that. The day I come to you and say, hey, you know, <laughs> Ephesians 4, it's about me. You're going to look out, aren't you? You're going to think, what has gone into that man? You know, uh, has, has someone changed his medicine or something? What's gone on with him? Um, but Jesus could do that. He teaches on his own authority because the whole Bible is about him. Uh, the amazing authority of the king. He is the king, foretold, uh, predicted, promised, and he's arrived. Not like any of us. Alors, le roi, il arrive au synagogue et il commence à prêcher, il commence à enseigner. Et c'est dans les versets 21 et 22. Il se rendit à Capernaum. Euh, dès le jour du sabbat, Jésus entra dans le, euh, la synagogue et se mit à enseigner. On était frappés par son enseignement parce qu'il enseignait avec autorité et non pas comme les spécialistes de la loi. Les spécialistes de la loi, qu'est-ce qu'ils disaient Ils citaient des autorités. Comme nous aujourd'hui, hein? nous on fait la, la, exactement la même chose. Avant de prêcher, on, on, on lit les bouquins, on cherche sur Internet, on cherche partout, on fouille pour euh, trouver ce que ça signifie le passage. Jésus, il ne faisait pas ça. Il ne faisait pas ça parce qu'il savait que ce que ça signifiait. Ça signifiait Jésus. Toute la Bible parle de Jésus euh, d'une manière très remarquable. Alors, euh, euh, d'une telle manière que Jésus, à un autre moment, il est entré dans une synagogue, il a pris le rouleau du prophète Esaïe, il a lu le passage, et après il a dit, « Aujourd'hui, ce passage est accompli dans votre présence. » Moi, je ne peux pas dire ça. Le moment que je dis, écoute, le psaume, je ne sais pas, 73, ou Ephésiens 4, ou... Philippiens 2, ça parle de moi. Euh, écoute, il faut appeler le médecin parce qu'il euh, y a quelque chose qui ne marche pas chez Alain. Hein? Euh, Ce n'est pas comme ça avec nous, mais avec Jésus, si. Alors, son autorité, on peut vraiment faire confiance à lui. Uh, another thing, his sheer power. Um, look at verse 23 down to verse 28. Uh, just then a man in a synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Um, Here is this man, this poor man, who's troubled by an impure spirit. Now, um, in some parts of the world, uh, it appears, I mean, I've, I've not seen it, so I'm just telling you what's reported to me. In some parts of the world, there is much more activity of impure spirits than there is in Bordeaux. People even say they're in parts of France. There is much more, because of interest in the occult and things like that, there is much more than there is in Bordeaux. Maybe, okay. But I do know this, in that synagogue that day, there was someone who was um, controlled by an impure spirit, and it was in the synagogue. He was in the synagogue. It was like if there was somebody here who had this deep, uh, unclean, filthy spirit that had possession of them, and they couldn't control themselves because they were controlled by this force of evil 
controlled by a force of evil. And there they were, right in the middle of the synagogue. And nobody could do anything about it. And this unclean spirit, it was really something supernatural because without Jesus saying anything, uh, he was able to challenge Jesus. I know who you are. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Nobody else knew that. Only the unclean spirit. Have you come to destroy us? Is that why you've come? Have you come now to destroy us? And uh, nobody could control this man. Nobody could help. But Jesus just speaks. And that's amazing, isn't it? Jesus just speaks. Quiet, come out. And Jesus is able to free people from these terrible powers, these en enemy powers. You know, sometimes um, I would give my right arm to be able to make someone believe. It would, it would just be so wonderful to find someone who's, you know, sometimes there are people and, and, and their life is a mess and they, they feel bad and everything's, but they just find it really so hard to believe in Jesus. You say, look, you know, it's, it's just simple. You just trust him. That's all you've got to do. And they can't do it. And, and uh, you, it would be wonderful to be able to do, okay, I'll do it for you. And you just, I don't know, say a word or, or do something. Uh, or, or if you really could say, look, repeat after me, and it would work somehow, you know? The, the words worked uh, and did something in their heart. It'd be marvellous. But none of us has that power. None of us can do that. None of us can believe for someone else. None of us can, can, can change things like that. It'd be marvellous if we could. But Jesus was able to walk into that situation and simply take control. He's that kind of saviour. He will walk into your life and take control. He will. Alors, le roi, il est, euh, il est tout puissant, finalement. Il est tout puissant euh, et ses ennemis ne peuvent pas euh, résister. Il y a cet homme dans, dans la synagogue et il est possédé d'un esprit impur. Euh, et cet esprit impur ne l'empêche pas d'aller dans le, la synagogue, hein, mais les gens dans la synagogue ne peuvent rien faire pour libérer cet homme de cet euh, euh, misérable état, cet état euh, vraiment euh, difficile. Et c'était vraiment quelque chose de, euh, comment dire, de spirituel, parce que euh, l'esprit impur savait qui était Jésus. Euh, on voit ça, hein, euh, il a dit, « Ah, que nous veux-tu, Jésus de Nazareth, es-tu venu pour nous perdre Je sais qui tu es. » Le Saint de Dieu. Les autres ne savaient pas, mais l'esprit impur savait. Alors, euh, les gens étaient impuissants. Comme nous, hein, on est impuissants. Face à, à l'incrédulité des gens, face aux besoins les plus profonds, on est impuissants. Si on pouvait changer la vie des gens, on ferait. Bon, je ne suis pas convaincu que ce serait une bonne chose, hein, parce qu'on se trompe souvent. Mais bon, euh, mais Jésus, rien ne peut résister à, à la puissance de Jésus. Avec un, un simple mot, il a dit, euh, tais-toi et sors de cet homme. C'est encore plus fort en français, vraiment. Hein? Tais-toi et sors de cet homme. Alors, on peut imaginer euh, dire ça à un enfant, tais-toi et sors de là. C'est un peu ça, quoi. Et Jésus, euh, sans... Euh, 
cinéma sans faire quelque chose de des gestes bizarres ou extrêmes, il les tétoie et sort de cet homme et l'esprit impur est forcé de, de obligé de, de sortir. Jésus libère les gens des choses qui, qui euh, les, leur vraiment euh, emprisonnent. Hein? Jésus est capable de changer notre vie, de prendre contrôle de notre vie. And because Jesus has this power to take control of your life, to take back control of your life, um, I need to be careful about using that little slogan, um, Jesus is able to transform your life. Look at verse 16 to verse 20. We've gone backwards. I'm sorry about that. You know? Um, but we are. 16 to verse 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Here were these uh, four men, two sets of brothers, uh, working in the family business. They were fishermen, um, middle-class people, uh, people say, I just had a family business of, of going out and fishing and then selling the fish and everything was going well. And then one day Jesus walks along and he just turns their lives upside down. You know? Um, and they're minding their own business. Literally, literally mending their nets. Uh, getting ready to fish. And um, Jesus says, come follow me. And they leave it all and go. Uh, there's a, a hymn here that we used to sing in school that's kind of going around in my head. And it's not very good, really, as a hymn. But uh, it used to go in simple trust, like theirs who heard beside the Syrian sea. Well, Galilee isn't a Syrian sea, but anyway, never mind. It, it scans. The gracious calling of the Lord, let us, with, like them, without a word, rise up and follow thee. Well, I don't know whether there was no word. You know, I think the hymn has its own agenda. But you, can, you do kind of get the picture, don't you? People's lives going along. Jesus comes in. Oh, everything's changed. And it's like that. There's good biblical precedent. You know, when God comes and calls you, things change. Think of Abraham. Genesis 12. He's living his own little life in Ur. Um, city man. Probably very much like Bordeaux. He used to ride the tram to go and shop in the marketplace. And then one day, the voice of God came and it said, Abraham, leave your city. Leave your family. Leave your country and go to a land I'll show you. And Abraham left it all and went to live in tents. You know, when, when, um, when I was younger, that used to make such an impression on me because I really didn't fancy ever going camping. I thought, why ever would you leave a city and go and live in tents? Why would you do that? But God called Abraham and Abraham did it. Didn't know where he was going, but he went. Um, think of Exodus 3, Moses. Moses minding his own business, minding his uncle's flocks, and a voice comes out of a well. He goes. A voice comes to him out of a bush. He goes to look at the bush, and the voice comes out of the bush. Go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And Moses had just run away from Egypt. You know that's the last place Moses wanted to go. Um, but God was sending him back to Pharaoh, and after some persuasion, it has to be said that Moses didn't respond quite like Abraham. There was a bit of dialogue, shall we say, 
Uh, but in the end, Moses agrees to go. And Moses goes uh, to rescue God's people out of Egypt. And here comes God. And he's walking by the side of the Sea of Galilee. And he sees two brothers and he says, come and follow me. And he sees two other brothers and he says, come and follow me. Um, and I'll take you and I'll train you and I'll transform your life. And God still calls people like that. Jesus comes into someone's life and says, now it's time for you to believe in me. It's time for you to trust me. It's time for you to follow me. It's time for you to give your life to me. And when he does that, it's an amazing call with an amazing response. Yeah? Because people get up and they follow Jesus Christ. Wherever he takes them. And he could take them anywhere. But they follow him wherever he takes them. Uh, Jésus, uh, quand il uh, arrive dans votre vie, il transforme votre vie complètement. On regarde les versets uh, 16 à 20. Uh, C'est pas dans le bon ordre, mais bon, voilà. Uh, comme il marchait le long du lac de Galilée, il vit Simon et André, frères de Simon, qui jetaient un filet dans le lac. C'était en effet des pêcheurs. Jésus leur dit « Suivez-moi et je ferai de vous de pêcheurs d'hommes ». Aussitôt, ils laissèrent le filet et le suivirent. Il alla un peu plus loin et vit Jacques, fils de Zébédée, et son frère Jean, qui étaient eux aussi dans une barque et réparaient les filets. Uh, aussitôt, il les appela. Ils laissèrent le père Zébédée dans la barque avec les, euh, les ouvriers et ils le suivirent. Alors, voici ces, ces hommes qui étaient occupés dans le, le, le travail familial. Bon, voilà, ils, ils, ils allaient à la pêche euh, et ils apportaient le, euh, le poisson pour vendre. C'était ça, quoi. C'était ça, la vie. Euh, depuis des générations, probablement, hein, et pour des générations à venir. Mais non, parce que Jésus arrive et il dit, venez, suivez-moi. Ça a des échos de l'appel de Dieu qu'on voit dans l'Ancien Testament. Abraham, Genèse chapitre 12, il est en train de vivre sa vie, quoi, dans, dans une grande ville de cette époque, Ur, on dit Ur en français Oui, merci. Euh, et bon voilà, il prenait le tram, il allait au marché, il allait au boulot, il faisait ce qu'on fait quoi, euh, dans les grandes villes de nos jours, comme euh, de son jour à lui. Et euh, Dieu est arrivé un jour, il a entendu la voix de Dieu qui disait, écoute, il faut quitter euh, votre, ta, ton pays, il faut quitter ta famille, il faut quitter ta cité, et il faut aller euh, me suivre euh, dans un pays que je te montrerai. Et Abraham l'a fait. Moi, j'étais toujours euh, impressionné par ça parce qu'Abraham, il a quitté la grande ville pour aller vivre dans des tentes. Et je n'ai jamais eu euh, envie de faire ça. Hein. Le camping, ça ne me, ça me dit pas trop. On a fait, on a fait pendant des années. Mais franchement, hein, euh, j'aime bien euh, une toilette, euh, des toilettes euh, propres, euh, sans trop de, de, de boue et tout ça. Bon, voilà, c'est compliqué le camping. Euh, mais Abraham a fait ça. Il a fait ça pendant des années. Moïse, l'exode chapitre 3. Moïse est en train de, de faire ce qu'il faisait. Quoi. Il, il gardait les, les uh, troupeaux de son oncle. 
Et euh, bon, voilà, il, il faisait ça, quoi. Et euh, il est venu le moment où il a vu euh, un arbuste qui brûlait euh, étrangement. Il est allé voir, il a entendu euh, la voix de Dieu qui disait, « Je t'envoie en Égypte, de retour en Égypte, pour, euh, pour euh, libérer mon peuple du, euh, de la puissance de Pharaon. » C'était la dernière... Euh, euh, chose que Moïse allait choisir d'aller en Égypte. Hein. Mais Dieu l'a envoyé, il est allé avec euh, cer certainement un, euh, un petit peu de discussion, quoi, disons, euh, résistance même, mais il est allé. Et Jésus, il t'appelle, c'est un appel euh, étrange quand ça vient, quand on est conscient de cet appel de Jésus, simplement de, de de faire confiance à lui. Je peux faire confiance à Jésus. Et tu le fais. Et tu le fais. Tu décides en ce moment-là de suivre Jésus. C'est un appel étrange, mais puissant. Puissant. Et Jésus nous prend, il nous envoie, et on ne sait pas où, hein, mais Jésus nous envoie dans des endroits, euh, bon voilà, imprévus. Euh, je ne sais pas si, si j'ai dit, mais à l'école, j'étais très, très, très faible en français. Vraiment. Et en plus, j'étais un mauvais élève. Je me comportais mal euh, pour les professeurs de français. Je détestais les cours de français. Euh, et dans mon école à moi, personne, personne n'a réussi son examen de français au niveau de, de, du brevet. Personne. Euh, on avait des gens qui étaient forts en maths, en, en latin, en ga, langue, langue galloise, qui est compliquée, quoi. Euh, dans toutes les matières, mais qui n'ont pas réussi en français. Et bon, voilà, on est là en France. Figurez-vous, hein? c'est comme ça. Pourquoi? Why is it like that? Why, why does Jesus call us and send us to places that we would never have thought of? Well, because, because he's the king. Because he's the king. And in the end, to be a Christian, it is about what you believe. It does matter what you believe. You know, there are things that are right and true, and there are things that are wrong. And Jesus teaches us. One of the big things that we'll see probably next week, maybe even, is that Jesus spends a lot of time teaching people. He teaches and preaches. He thinks that's important. He really wants them to believe the right things. And that is important. So the question they asked Ted, mais qu'est-ce que tu crois? It is important. Qu'est-ce que tu crois? Qu'est-ce que tu crois? Uh, what do you believe? What is it that you believe? It's really important. But even more important is this. It's not just a question of knowing the right things and believing a list of the right things. But it's more this. Qui est-ce que tu crois? Qui est-ce que tu crois? Hein? Ou en qui est-ce que tu crois? Um, because it's not just a question of believing the right things about Jesus. You know, so many of us did that for years, and yet it didn't change our lives. But then there came that moment where we trusted ourselves to Jesus. You know, it's, it's like the difference between reading a medical encyclopedia and going to the doctor. You know, you go to the doctor, you say to the doctor, look, doctor, I've got a problem with my elbow. And the doctor says, well, you've got to do this. And you say, oh, okay, I'll do it. And you do it because you trust the doctor. You know, it's like that. 
There's so many uh, ways in life where, where we have to do this. And here we are. We trust ourselves to Jesus Christ. Who do you believe? Who do you believe? Is it possible that Jesus Christ knows better than you what is good for you and for your life? Is that possible? Is it possible that Jesus Christ is more powerful, more important, and more wise, and more good for you than you are yourself? Is it possible? Trust him with all your heart. You have to trust him. That's all you have to do. We'll pray.